0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we sit down with top performers, athletes, researchers, scientists, figure out what the best in the world are doing to perform at their peak. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we're on a mission to unlock human performance. This week, I am joined by NBA legend and longtime Whoop member, Reggie Miller. Reggie was named to the All-Star team five times in his 18-year career all of which he spent playing for the Indiana Pacers. Known for being arguably the best three-point shooter of his time, Reggie went on to win a gold medal in the 1996 Summer Olympics. Since retiring, he's become a commentator for TNT and a college basketball analyst for CBS Sports. He's also added another sport to his resume, cycling, picked up mountain biking in 2000, and since turned to the competitive circuit. He's even gone on to join the USA Cycling Board of Directors. Reggie and I discuss growing up in an athletic family and how he found basketball, his 18-year career with the Pacers, how he prepared for his games mentally and physically, the role mindset played in his approach to the game. I think mindset is something that really differentiates Reggie from a bunch of other athletes. The transition to being on the other side of the game as a commentator, how he thinks about basketball today, uh, how he sees athletes prioritizing their longevity in the sport, mountain biking, cycling, what it's like to go from being a pro athlete to a complete novice in a new sport, how he prioritizes recovery, and his WHOOP data, including how hard his training has been and what metrics have taken the biggest hit. Are you new to WHOOP? You can use the code WILL when you're checking out to get a $60 credit on WHOOP accessories. You can use that credit for new bands, battery packs, WHOOP body apparel, and more. That is join.whoop.com to get started. All right, this conversation comes just in time for the start of a new NBA season, which I'm looking forward to. Here is the great Reggie Miller.
1: Reggie, welcome to the Whoop Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Will. I know we've kind of been doing a juggling act to get on here, my camp, your camp, but guess what? We're here now. I'm excited. Well, one of my favorite things about
0: Whoop is getting to discover the cool people who wear whoop. and uh, i was I was thrilled once to be watching TNT and see it on your wrist, and there we go. So um, pumped to have you on the platform. Uh, let's go back in time. When did you know you had
1: fallen in love with with basketball? Growing up in Riverside, California, my first love was baseball. I wanted to be the next Rod Carew. And obviously, I'm sure like you, playing Little League. Um, I could throw with the best of them. I was a pitcher. I played center field. I played shortstop. And that was, I thought I was going to the major leagues. I was on the smaller side back in Little League. So baseball was my first love. Once I started to grow a little bit and got out of Little League and got to high school, the baseball coach at Riverside Poly wanted me To continue pitching and as you know in little league and in high school basketball the mounds are further back so i knew i was a good little league pitcher but there was no way i I wanted to pitch in high school so i informed him that he's like well the only way you're going to play baseball with us is if you pitch and i'm like well that kind of diverted my attention more so towards basketball which was more recreational playing with my brothers and sisters Uh, playing pickup, but I wasn't heavily invested like I was in baseball. So I shifted my freshman year in high school to basketball. And that's probably to your question where the love affair started, because I just put all my energy into what was it going to take to become a great basketball player. I know a lot of people want to identify with the shooting, I wanted to become a a complete basketball player. So the love affair really started the summer of my eighth grade year going into my freshman year of
0: high school. So you're 13 years old, 14 years old, which to be fair is, is maybe a little on the later side for someone to go on to have a Hall of Fame career,
1: wouldn't you say? Yes, and I think that probably benefited me because there was no burnout. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, it isn't like it is now with the AAU circuit where there's games after games. You have traveling teams, East Coast, West Coast, North, South. There's so many of these young kids when they're starting at nine, 10, 11, and this is where burnout can kind of creep in. I didn't have that situation because I wasn't on AAU teams. I practiced and played a lot. I played in Summer show- showcases, but I wasn't on a traveling team. But 13, 14 um, was perfect for me because I found the love a little bit later, if you consider 13 or 14 um, old in terms of, you know, basketball. I found that love just a little bit later personally for myself. And when did you start to realize that you were really good at basketball? I would say my sophomore year in high school. Because I dedicated myself to shooting. And I said to myself, if I can shoot anywhere in the half court, how is anyone ever going to be able to guard me? So I would just master shots all over the court in the half court situation. And I knew then by my sophomore year in high school, I could shoot better than anyone. It was all about honing in the rest of my game And that kind of gave me a glimpse of, well, where can basketball take me? It's no secret. I was living across the hall from the greatest women's basketball player of all time and my sister, Cheryl. So I knew what greatness looked like because she was by far the best male or female player in Riverside and in California and probably in the country. And she's one year older than me. So right. I knew what it was going to take to reach her level. I just had to continue to work harder because she was taller than I was. She was faster. By the time I got to high school and started to grow and catch up to her, that's when our skill levels started to kind of merge a little bit. And I saw how great she was. That's, she was the motivating factor personally for me to jump on that train In terms of greatness, and probably
0: kept you humble and
1: motivated despite a lot of people being like, "Oh, Reggie, you're so good,
0: you're so good." It's like, well, actually, I'm not even the best person in my family. Yeah, I was always little.
1: I was always Cheryl Miller's little brother, and to a certain degree, that was always motivating to me to try to get out of that shadow. Right, but it's funny when people say that she used to beat the crap out of you too. So don't get. Don't give me stuff. She's beating you guys too. So it, 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 it's funny when we would team up together, there was no stopping us and people always kind of wanted to pit us against one another when we were younger, where we were much stronger together. And I think us pushing one another to become great was probably the best thing in our early careers was having that voice from Cheryl or me being in her ear, trying to just better ourselves.
0: And you go off to UCLA. And at what point in in your career there are you thinking, I'm going to do this professionally. This is going to be my career. As you
1: know, when you take different progressions from middle school to high school for those four years, And then when you take that leap and you get that college letter, and I always wanted to go to UCLA, every kid in the Southern California area always wanted to play for the great UCLA, the pyramid of success. So I was honored. But my freshman year was a little bit of a a struggle. I played in every game. I never started, maybe played five to seven minutes, but... The best thing that helped me was every summer, and this is when the Lakers were, it was, it was the Showtime Lakers, with Magic, Byron Scott, Michael Cooper, Kareem, James Worthy. So when I was at UCLA from 84 to 87, every summer we had, it was called Open Gym. So the Lakers would come up to work out. They would be a team. Our UCLA had a team, and then you had a team of other professionals, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Dominique Wilkins. All the great players of the 80s would come, so you would have three teams, and we would just rotate. And yeah, that, those, that's not a rec league. No, that's not a rec league, no. Yeah. Those summer league games and those open gym runs is what piqued my interest and made me think, I could play this game professionally because after my freshman year, I got stronger. I got faster by watching Byron and Michael Cooper pulling me aside and say, no, no, work on this, do that. And then I was holding my own against them in these open run gyms. So that kind of got the belief thinking, okay, I can play. Cause I knew I could shoot with anyone. And my first step evolved. I started to play a lot of one-on-one versus Kiki Vandewey. who was a former pro, went to UCLA, and he always used to destroy me in one-on-one my freshman year. And then by the time I got to my sophomore year, when he came back after the season, the tables right. kind of turned a little bit. And that is what kind of got the ball rolling of, I think I could play at the next level and play professional. Well, part of what made made it so fun to watch
0: your career as a fan was the obvious confidence and swagger that you played with. And I'm curious, did you have that from high school on from when you just picked up a basketball? Hey, I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to be talking to you. I, I know I can make this shot. Or was that something that you developed? Like, I'm, I'm just imagining you like your freshman year after UCLA. <laughs> You've played five minutes a game. And now you're, you know, about to post up Jordan and, and Magic and you're in their ear or not.
1: You know, that's what I'm asking myself. I think it's probably a combination of both. But I think growing up in a household of five siblings, two older brothers, an yeah. older sister and Cheryl and a younger sister, In any board game, in any card game, there's competition, right? And with competition comes talking. You know, you're always evaluating your competition and trying to get into their head. So it really started at a young age. And I think reverting back to my former story with Cheryl, when I would go on the road and the opposing fans, you know, Cheryl, the chants and the taunts, that was to me, I didn't know it then, but that was building up that inner strength, um, that mental toughness to go onto the road, into a hostile environment, to be locked in for those, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, which was high school games, hour and a half for college games. It was training me to be locked in and focused in. And of course, you hear certain things and to give it to them back. So maybe that's where the banter started of engaging and trash-talking certain people, you're going to talk to me. Well, I'm going to bring you into my world a little bit. You, you want to talk? Okay, then we're, we're going to have an open dialogue during this game. So I think that's kind of was built up at a younger age from those card games and board games with my brothers and sisters. And it led to the athletic field of baseball and basketball from high school to college and to the professional ranks. I love that. So you get drafted by uh, the Pacers.
0: I mean, you have an amazing uh, 18-year career with the same franchise, which today in the era of superstars seems impossible. Just talk about those first few years with the Pacers and and what it felt like to be in the NBA.
1: It's interesting, Will, because draft day in today's world, when a draft happens, you see the spectacle. They're either at Madison Square Garden, all the athletes are there, everyone's in a nice suit, and all that. I was home on my couch with my family. Um, We had a live feed with TBS, it was on TBS at the time. Cheryl and I were the only ones who had our um, IFB ear, you know, headset on, so we could kind of hear what was going on. And I believe it was being done in New York at the time. And we heard whoever the director or producer was saying, oh, we're going to the Miller family. He's getting selected. So we had maybe 10 seconds head start that I was being drafted by Indiana. And I had gone on a visit to Indiana and they barely said two words to me, Will. (laughs) Hello, how are you? How tall are you? How much do you weigh? And shook my hand and I was out the door. Uh, That was like three months leading up to the draft. So... When I heard that it was Indiana, I looked at Cheryl. She's like, ah, "Surprise!" And I was like, "Okay." Um, and I was saying to myself, "Man, they barely said anything to me." But in all my journeys now, I heard that was a ploy now because they didn't want to show any interest. Because I found out later there was teams that were before and after that wanted to draft me, but they didn't want to tip their hand. So I'm drafted by Indiana, and I'd heard of the Pacers, um, but I didn't know a lot about them. Um, I knew they were somewhat of a seller-dweller type team. The year before, they had drafted Chuck Person, and he was Rookie of the Year. So I had heard of him, and Byron Scott of the Lakers, Michael Cooper, they kind of gave me a, a breakdown of what the Pacers, Jack Ramsey, Hall of Fame coach Jack Ramsey, was my very first coach and who drafted me. I kind of knew his style when he had won a championship with the Portland Trail Blazers when he had Bill Walton. So I was familiar with their style. Um, it was going to be a perfect type style for the shooting guard and small forward because it was catered around shooting. So I was excited and I was blessed. You know, you're blessed to be drafted first of all because there's 30 teams. And it didn't matter where I went because I was going to give 100%. I was just blessed that it was it was Indiana. And let's face it, everyone's seen Hoosiers, right? Everyone yeah. knows that it's a basketball state. They live and die and breathe basketball. What better place could I possibly be going to than a state and city like Indianapolis that just loves basketball? So I was... Where do I sign up? Where's my contract? Let's go.
0: So this are the 11th overall pick, 1987. Uh, pretty, pretty exciting time, by the way, to join the NBA. I mean, it probably felt that way then, but even just looking back on it now, the amount of talent in the NBA at that point probably rivals any period of time ever in the
1: history of the game, wouldn't you say? Think about this. Being drafted in 1987, It was the Showtime Lakers versus Larry Bird and Celtics, right? Television ratings were through the roof. The summer runs against Magic and these pros, they prepared me for this. I'm not going to be in awe. If I can go against Magic and the great Lakers and Showtime, surely I can go against anyone. So the talent level each and every night, especially at the shooting guard position, one night, it's Michael Jordan. The next night, it's Ricky Pierce. The next night, it's Joe Dumars, Mitch Richmond, Reggie Lewis. I mean, every night, Randy Whitman, you had your hands full. And it was the challenge of competing. You had to get, it was sink or swim, Will. And they were going to find out quickly. And these are grown men you're going against. And Here I am, a 20, 21-year-old rookie looking around like, you know, let's, let's go to work my saving grace, which was great. And it was a lot like my freshman year at UCLA. I never started one game and I had a chance to learn, but I played in all 82. John Long, who was a 37-year-old NBA lifer, had played with Isaiah in Detroit for so many years and was a tough, rugged shooting guard. And he took me under his wing. And every night we would read the scouting reports. We would watch game film. He would point out things I was doing right, all the things I was doing wrong. This is how you guard this guy. If it wasn't for John Long taking that interest, because a lot of rookies, it's sink or swim. You gotta play, and if you don't produce, you're gone. Thank God the patience of the Pacers of allowing me to grow. And by the end of my rookie year, The last month, they increased my minutes from 15 to 17 to about 25 to 30. They big jump, which means you're playing maybe like half the game. And depending on your matchup, you're finishing games. And that just catapulted me into my sophomore year where things the reins came off. I was an all-star by my third year, and the Pacers were off and running after that.
0: You touched on the intense
1: rivalries of your time period.
0: What I remember as a basketball fan of the 90s was really loving the intensity of the competition. Like the top athletes seemed to genuinely dislike each other. And there was something really exciting about that. And if you compare that to today, I think it's clearly different you know, you get the sense that after a game, you know, a lot of these top players are friends, right? And it's a different vibe. Now, I think the sport is, is still in a great place, but I'm curious how you, as a student of the game, and obviously as a, as a terrific commentator, how you feel about that, and,
1: and do you agree that, that it's different? It's definitely different, and a lot of that has to do with, and you heard me talking about, I didn't grow up in the AAU generation, because a lot of these AAU players that you see today they've all played together. All of them switch teams and build super teams, which you've kind of seen superstar players leave one team to join another team to build a super team um, to dominate. And that goes back to AAU. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm just saying, I could be friends off the court, maybe, but it was more combative between certain teams and certain players like you really knew the Lakers and the Celtics hated one another. You knew that the Boston Celtics and the Detroit Pistons really hated one another. You knew that my Indiana Pacers and the Knicks, we hated one another. We (laughs) we did. I'm not saying we didn't respect them. Absolutely. We respected them, but you build up. And people forget what competition is all about. You're competing for something. When you are trying to win a championship at the highest level, you will almost do anything it takes, especially when you're so close to it. When you're in the final four situation or in the finals, and you're a rebound, a loose ball, a missed free throw, a dive on the floor for a ball away from advancing those little, it's the little things that make the big things happen in any sport, in any walk of life. If you can do the little things and you build up such animosity and hatred, I'm not saying like afterwards you can't let it go, but you remember a lot. And that's no knock on today's generation. It's hard for me to be buddy-buddy with someone when I'm trying to rip out your throat. I just can't do it. We, we can't break bread. We just can't. Too many things are going to be said between the lines. I'm going to say a lot. You're going to say <laughs> a lot. Um, and you you build up a memory bank of all this. But again, I respect today's players because a lot of them can shelve that animosity at times and continue to go out and play. I just wasn't built that way, Will. If Michael Jordan's in front of my way, I'll give you a dap. Dude, I'm trying to destroy you like you are destroying me. Well, I think I think Jordan came out as one of the
0: uh, you know most negative voices when it came to the super team concept, and I think it was shortly after Durant joined uh, Golden State where he said like the idea of joining that team and and his shoes seemed completely crazy because all he it wanted would to do almost, was go out
1: and kill the other guys. There's no like way he could have joined their team what do you think people would have said if he would have joined Detroit back in the day when Detroit made up, they did a whole book on the Jordan rules. You couldn't even fathom that. Now, I will say this for Kevin Durant and what people's idea of that, very much the same way LeBron joined Dwayne Wade in Miami with Chris Boss and formed a super team and won a couple championships. Yeah. If you're the media, which one are you valuing now? Because you want to knock Kevin for joining a 73-win team, but he had no rings, right? So you knock me, Allen Iverson, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, yep. for staying loyal but not winning championships. But here's a guy, KD, wins two, and two finals MVPs. But you're knocking them because, oh, well, he had to join the 73-win team to get those. Well, which one is it? Do you want him to stay in Oklahoma City and be loyal but, and continue to lose or win championships? So which one is it, people? That's why I, I, I don't discount the knock that KD gets. I think a lot of times his mouth puts him in trouble because he answers back when he doesn't have to because he's one of the greatest to ever play the game. When it comes to criticism, he takes it too personal, and you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, Because he's too great of a player. He can let his game do the speaking. But the old heads, like myself, people will look at him like, well, anyone could have joined Michael Jordan's 73 win team and got a championship. No, I would much rather want to beat Michael. Like, that was the whole thing, Will. His last season, the year in 1999 when my beloved Pacers and his Bulls, we were the only team to take them in the seven game in the conference finals, right? Right, yeah. Our whole mission, my whole mission, I shouldn't say our, because this was my thinking. I don't want to put it on the rest of the guys. But I wanted to retire Michael Jordan. That's what, that was my thinking. I'm yeah, going right. to retire the great Michael Jordan. Obviously, he had other ideas, and the Bulls had other ideas, and they beat us in seven, went on to beat Utah in the next series. But that's how my thinking was. And I don't know if that's into today's game. I would much rather beat Isaiah or beat uh, Michael Jordan or beat Patrick Ewing, beat Allen Iverson as opposed to go join them. But again, I don't want people to think that's a knock on LeBron or KD because which one are you valuing, people? It's different. It's totally different. So I respect that. You know, if you want to do that and you get your championships, by all means necessary. Let's talk about just mindset in general. Like, I'm curious
0: how intentional or deliberate some of these uh, mental states were that you would put yourself in. Was that something that you did prep work on? Would you spend time alone thinking about these things? Is it just that you're so wired that the voice in your head is always doing it? How much of it was learned and developed versus something
1: that came to you naturally? I think... A lot of it came naturally and a lot of it came growing up in a big household with five other kids and who's the first to the dinner table. You know, so you, you build up certain characteristics as a kid and you just transfer them into whatever walk of life you're going to go. You know, I would study up on my opponents. I, I was huge on watching film and reading Tendencies. And I think I do that as a broadcaster now because I I can read people's body language before it happens. So being able to read someone's body language when they're tired, when they're upset, when they're on the verge of cracking, uh, when things are going well, when to shut up sometimes, sometimes shutting up is good too. Um, So I could read people's body language, um, which became an art of mine. And a lot of that went into my prep work each and every night of which buttons could I press or if I had to even press sometimes not saying anything, being silent is that, you know, you never wanted to talk to Michael Jordan. There was times where you could say something, but why poke the bear? You know, everyone knows he's the greatest player of all time. And I got to guard him for 40 minutes out of 48. So why am I going to poke him? But there was little things you can do here and there, little subtle jabs you could whisper, you could say, um, or you could direct whatever you're saying to a teammate of his, knowing he can hear it. There's a lot of games that you play um, out there, and it's a chess match. And it's who wants to play chess and who wants to really play checkers. The great ones know how to play chess, and there are three, four, five moves ahead of you the good players play checkers. They're worried about the next move. I'm thinking four or five moves down. That's how I approached it. So that's kind of how I built it up from a young age of being in a big family to always watching film, always doing my homework and being prepared. People don't understand that goes a long way along with your physical ability. Um, I knew I wasn't as athletic as Kobe and and Dominique and Michael, but I knew I worked hard, and I was meticulous in the little things that it was going to take to be a great basketball player, and on time. And you just merge that into a big gumbo pot, and hopefully something good comes out of it. You know, uh, listening to you
0: talk about preparation and studying tendencies, and just the enormous amount of work outside of the game, it reminds me of conversations um Michael Phelps on this podcast talked a lot about it this idea where you've put in so much work before the thing that when the thing happens it's like i've done everything i possibly can for this moment i'm not going to be overwhelmed by the moment i'm just in the moment you know in a way it makes you very grounded very present almost makes you less nervous and when i think about your career it's not surprising to me that that's probably
1: how you felt in a lot of these big moments am i describing it fairly Absolutely. And I listened to that podcast between you two. And it's almost like you're centered once competition begins, because to me, the hard work was all what I did during the summer. The games are the easy part. The training to me is the hard part is once the games began and I can revert back to those three to four hour days in the gym, this two and a half hour game means nothing. So when I listen to that conversation between you two, you know, I get it. This is coming from one of the greatest athletes of all time saying totally. that. So him being centered, I could totally relate to that because you're almost let down come, come game time in the big moments because the sweat, the tears, being upset with your trainer or yourself, that all happened three, four, five months ago. The game, to me, is the easy part now. So let's talk about the human body for a little bit. How long have you been on whoop? Two years, maybe. I was okay. introduced to it. One of my riding partners, Isabel King, she's a pro cyclist, and she always, you know, wore the band. And I was like, you know, I, I see other um, cyclists wear it. And I'm like, well, you know, what is it doing? You know, it's tracking your fitness, your sleep. And I was like, and I was hesitant at first, Will, to tell you the truth, because um, I've got three kids, almost nine, six, and an 18-month-old. I'm saying to myself, well, I know what it's going to tell me. It's going to tell me I need more sleep. I know I'm grinding and I'm getting tired. But I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it has been absolutely the best thing that probably ever happened to me because it's taught me precious time when to exert energy right. naps i was the king of naps when i played basketball i always slept but uh, you get away from that with your everyday kids life you get you can't you can't sleep because kids need attention they need love they need time but it taught me the power of a 15 20 minute nap versus a 45 minute nap or an hour and a half nap so this has been, a, it's been a saving grace, really, the numbers that come from, and I'm not a tech guy. I, I know really nothing. I Every morning I get up, I do all the check things that, you know, did you watch the screen device? Did you, do, you know, I do all my checks, my daily thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I always want to know what the health monitor, the five things, the respiratory rate, blood oxygen, HRV, resting heart rate, and the skin temp because- I want to know, did I get my numbers? Did I get my numbers? (laughs) And for the most, even if I've gone on a four or five hour bike ride, you know, I got to know, did I hit my numbers the next day? And for the most part, yes. Right now, it's a little different because I'm in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, getting ready for a 100 mile bike race on Sunday. So I'm at Elevation. Yeah, altitude will mess up your numbers. So it's messing my resting heart rate right now. It's a little bit elevated because I've only been here three or four days. So sleep has been a little bit like, whoa, but it's great every morning checking your numbers. Um, That's what's cool about it. And how can I go from red to yellow, from yellow to green, and what's it going to take? It's fascinating to hear you talk about it, especially in
0: this new chapter of your life, which is to train as as a cyclist. And I wonder, what do you think you would have learned from it as an NBA player? Do you think you, you might have done a couple things differently? Oh,
1: absolutely. It also has taught us, because when those kids go to bed, the house shuts down. It's time for everyone to go to bed. As a When I played, I was a night out, because you're always thinking, stressing, next game. And you're watching, and being in Indiana, you're watching West Coast games, which start right. later. So you're, you know, you end up staying up. up at one, two o'clock to get up to go to practice at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. in the morning. And what this has taught me is sleep is golden. So when the kids are in bed by 39, for us, it's lights out by 10, at the latest by 11, I'm a good, by 11, and just patterns, trying to repeat patterns. A lot like a basketball player or a cyclist, repeating how many shots, uh, how many footwork drills, um, trying to find positive patterns. Um, probably, I would have done a, a lot different. I wouldn't have stressed about games. I'll worry about my prep work the next day. Sleep is more important. I wanted to hear you talk about just a day
0: in the life of Reggie Miller, and you know all the. Uh, the little habits and behaviors and lifestyles that you have, this is something that the Whoop audience uh, tends to gravitate to because it's a a very deliberate audience.
1: All right, everyone, I want you guys to grab a pin, okay? That's right. This is the day in the life. I'm normally up by five o'clock. I like to always be up before the kids are up because I'm an early riser and I like to prep things before they go to school. So I'll go downstairs and unload the dishwasher, fold the laundry, get uh, breakfast prepped ready to allow Mama Bear an extra hour, hour and a half of sleep. Because let's face it, we all know that Mama Bears are, they run the show. The kids will come down, they'll eat. I'll take them to school. What are you eating? Coffee, food? No, I I I I don't, I've never done coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, never have. Wow. Um, I, for breakfast, I normally like to do either bottom will make a, like a McDonald's sandwich with ham and cheese or scrambled egg whites um, or waffle. I'll go up and get bike ready because now I'm retired now. So I'll get bike ready with my kit and stuff. She'll get the kids dressed and ready for school. And then I'll take the kids to school. And then I'll go and ride for three hours, four hours, depending on what type of structured cycling day it is intervals or just a long endurance ride um, and i'll just I'll be- comment for a second on your training mm-hmm. because you you shared the last 30
0: days of your of your data with us like you've got 12 activities between 18 and 21 in the last 30 days you got 10 activities between 14 and 18 strain eight activities over 10 I mean, that's, you know, 30, 30 activities that are pretty strenuous <laughs> activities in the last 30 days. So when you say you're going out for rides, like you're, you're, you're doing it.
1: Yes, yes. And a lot of those rides, because it's the last 30 days, to put into context, I am training for something because I have a 100-mile grovel race coming up. So sure. a lot of those rides are a little bit on the longer side because I'm trying to build up that endurance that's going to happen uh in about 4 or 5 days. And by the way, I hope you're getting a little
0: rest right now because for the last 30 days it's been a bit of overreaching, right? Yes. You've got you got two green recoveries, 21 yellow, eight red. So like you're
1: you're pushing you know, it for sure. I'm pushing it. And I'm here in Steamboat alone, no family, no kids. So it's just riding and resting. So even though I'm still like in the red a little bit, it's because of altitude, number one, but I am getting rest. Like today was a dedicated rest day for me, which is why we're doing this. Um, yeah. But I'll ride, I'll come home by 11 or 12 and eat, have lunch, you know, whatever. And then go get the kids by three, 3.30. Are you then, doing any kind of like stretching, norm any of that type of stuff, uh, NormaTech and Hyperice. I probably would not even be able to get on the bike if it wasn't for. I definitely have to have the NormaTech boots, and that's almost an everyday or every other day occurrence. And, and right after I, I, you train, or later later. No, in the day? definitely. I, I it depends on what I have going on. Either later, the last day at night when I'm la- you know, laying in bed. Sure. I'll put them on for 45 minutes. Um, or post-drive, I'll take the gun, the hyper gun, and stretch while I'm doing the hyper gun on the legs, the lower back, or put the, the hyper ice back strap on that vibrates. So I'm doing all this while I'm stretching. Stretching and hyper ice. Now, that is one thing, along with this, I wish... Sure. Because, you know, when you, in basketball... On back-to-back nights or four games and five nights, we didn't have that. Your best, you would just put ice on your knees and they'd say, go get them. <laughs> but in today's game, all these guys have privy to all these wonderful tools like this and uh, hyper ice. Hyper ice is a godsend. So I live with hyper ice. All right. So you like your whoop. You like your hyper ice. All right. So you, you do your workout. You're now picking up your kids. What's next? Daddy time. So homework, playing with them. My son is nine. You know he wants to be a baller, baseballer. So we'll work, we'll play, we'll go skateboarding. He likes to ride bikes too. Play with my daughters. So it's all about kid time all the way up until six thirty. That's we'll have uh, dinner, and then I do the nighttime stuff of showering them or bath for the younger two. And then it's nighttime. Mama Bear will take the little one, the eighteen month old, and I've got I call them the big littles, the nine and six year old story time by seven thirty eight lights out by eight fifteen. And then I'll go down and help Mama Bear clean up. And then I'm normally upstairs getting ready for bed by eight forty five nine brushing my teeth. Then I'll do a little stretching before I go get in bed because I like to stretch sure. before I get in bed. And then maybe I might normal check then. I'll read what's going on on Twitter, do some homework, read my games. that I, Whatever two teams are playing, I'll watch a little bit of tape and lights out by 1030, 11 o'clock to turn around to do it all again the next day you take any vitamins, sleep supplements, I anything like that? Not sleep supplements, vitamins. There's a pack from GNC that I take for like 55-plus-year-old guys that have a little bit of everything in it. Um, before races and stuff, I do take magnesium so I don't yep. cramp. But that also helps me sleep a little bit too, the magnesium. It helps, for sure. me poop, helps me poop a lot too, on regular. But yeah, those are the only things I take. And it's funny, um, and I know we're short on time, but I was a casual drinker when I played. I would have big nights, too, sometimes when you go out and just be with the guys and get hammered. But now that I've been cycling and all that, like, I I can't even remember the last time I actually drank. Well, whoop, whoop tends
0: to pick on you when you drink alcohol. You've probably noticed
1: that. Yeah, but I, like, I, I don't think I've ever drank with Whoop. It's, it's been literally, like, years since I even so like, drank I don't drink and I don't do caffeine, so I don't do alcohol and I don't do caffeine at all. So those are two disciplines that I've always stayed away from, and I think it's kept me looking young along with water and exercise. It just made me feel better. Not like I don't even have a casual, casual beer. Does that. why why nothing? It doesn't do anything for me. So why do it if it's not going to benefit me? Do you ever get a call out of the blue from someone who,
0: you know, maybe you knew or or was a former teammate or something and you knew them at their peak. And now they're at this later stage in life and you know, they're X pounds overweight, and maybe they don't know what the hell they're doing with their career or (laughs) they've been divorced, or like what is the Reggie Miller pep talk for someone who's kind of going through that second half of their life and they're not that happy about
1: where it's at? funny you say that because I get it all the time, but it was more prevalent. I was very honored and blessed this past season to be on that 75th team, the greatest 75th. Congratulations. Thank you Congratulations. so much. So obviously at the All-Star game, that's when they introduced, I don't know if you watched it, it was pageantry, all the great players. Totally. We did a huge photo shoot. We all had our blazers on. And... You know, I'm not gonna call say what player or players said this, but they all came up to me and was like, "Oh my God! Like you could play like right now, you could go." Yeah, you look good. Yeah, 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 you look good. You know, we're we're giving each other hugs, and they're hugging me like, "Oh my God! Like you're gonna play in the second half of the All Star game?" And they're like, "What are you doing?" And a lot of them knew that you know I was riding bikes, but they didn't know to the extent of what my journey had been. I'm like. Get on two wheels, guys. It's less stress on your body. The cardio is unbelievable. And I'm not telling you guys to do an hour, two hours, three crazy three hours. Get on a bike for 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And I know the whole Peloton thing is big as well in today's age. That works too, you know? Um, so it was funny seeing some of these other 75 greatest players that in their heyday you wish you look like them. What are you doing? You look fantastic. And I'm like, I feel great. Uh, thank you for saying that, you know, I, I bike a lot. And they're like, really? So I'm trying to educate my older brethren, 75 teammates that get on two wheels. And not only that, seeing what God has created for us out there. Cause that's the great thing about bikes. It takes you places. Here in Steamboat Springs, I've got to imagine this is what heaven's gonna look like. Not get there. It is so beautiful here. The scenery and two wheels has brought me to this. And not only are you getting a great exercise, but you're seeing God's greener and it is the best thing.
0: Well, you got a great attitude, man. And it's no surprise to me that uh, you've had enormous success in a lot of different fields. And uh, I'm grateful that you're on WHOOP and
1: uh, it's been a real pleasure hanging with you for the past hour. Will, thank you so much. Again, for those of you, lifesaver for me. I appreciate that. I'm not saying that just because we're doing this, but it will teach you patterns and discipline. That's all you want in life. And it's been a godsend. So thank you for having me, Will. Seriously, thank you. All right. Thank you, Reggie.
0: Thank you to Reggie for coming on the Whoop podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave a rating or review. Please subscribe to the Whoop podcast. You can check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, that's just podcast at whoop.com or call us 508-443-4952. And your questions may be answered on a future episode. New members can use the code Will, W-I-L-L to get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. That's it, folks. We'll be back next week. Stay healthy and stay in the green.